On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Today we are thrilled to be chatting with Sarah Pinborough. Sarah is a New York Times and Sunday Times number one best-selling author who is published in over 30 territories worldwide. Having published more than 25 novels across various genres, her recent books include Behind Her Eyes, now a smash Netflix hit limited series, Dead to Her, now in development with Amazon Studios, and 13 Minutes and The Death House, which are in development with compelling pictures. Her new novel, Insomnia, is out now. Sarah lives in the historic town of Stony Stratford, the home of the cock and bull story with her dog, Ted. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Sarah. Thank you very much. It made me sound... Um quite good. <laughs> you all, I mean, all true. <laughs> so why don't you start by telling us a little bit about insomnia? This is the bit I'm terrible at. So, <laughs> you know, like Some people are so good at pitching their books. I'm kind of like, yeah, stuff happens. So <laughs> She couldn't sleep, you know. <laughs> it's kind of the story. But uh, it's about a woman called Emma who is approaching her 40th birthday. And on the surface, she's kind of one of those women whose lives you sort of envy you know she's got a great job she's a divorce lawyer she's got a lovely house she's got a husband who stays at home she's got two great kids but as with all of these things under the surface she's pedaling hard trying to keep it all together and then as her 40th approaches she gets insomnia and her life slowly starts to fall apart her big fear is that her mother went mad on the night of her 40th birthday actually and Emma's afraid that the same thing is happening to her because her mother did something terrible in a lot of ways it came out of actually looking at some of my friends I have a friend called Emma who's a high-powered businesswoman I don't know where I got this character from (laughs) And she has two kids and nice house, but she still seems to do everything. You know, her husband, he works from home, but if there's anything to do with the kids, she's still the one that's like the pee kit needs to be washed by tomorrow morning. And if you get the pink top out or the blue top out and he's going to wear that and he's got, she knows all the routines and the husband's kind of like, yeah, whatever, I'll take him to cricket practice. But that, that they know and everything else she does. So I I don't have children. I'm not married. So it took me a long time to realize how much hard work that was for all my friends with jobs and careers and family. And then you, I mean, this is not a lockdown novel in any way, shape or form, because frankly, I think we've had enough of that. But Mm. it really highlighted that, I think. And all my feet, none of my female friends were really sleeping, including me. Yeah during lockdown and I think if you factor in a job homeschooling all the other stuff that women seem to do more of than the men I didn't see a lot of men going oh god three hours of humanities this morning it was all the women who do it while doing their jobs as well as I think women did more of the worrying 
as well. Mm. I think men took a little yeah. bit more time to get on board with the fact that this is quite a serious thing. And we're just like nodding yeah. emphatically over here, which people can't see. I'm like, uh huh. Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> so, no, I we're so wanted to write yeah. about that really. So I, I used all of that yeah. to, to feed into Emma and her life. Uh, well, we're also nodding. We're nodding for a few reasons. One, we wanted to ask you specifically about this and why you wanted to give Emma so much going on. She is a really successful lawyer. She's gunning for partnership. She is, and she's earned it. So she's working and then she's also still spending time worrying. And there's a, there's a scene with their young son that has an accident at school, no spoilers, but Emma sees a clear link between who her son was with when this happens and her husband, who's the stay-at-home dad and presumably is supposed to be the one handling all of this, blows it off and says it's not a big deal and don't worry about it. And Emma has her reason, there has her thoughts about why he's blowing it off, in addition to the one we all can relate to, which is that dads and men just don't worry as much it's as we do. And even, yeah, and even, I mean, that scene really pissed me off. And then he walks <laughs> away with his beer and the kitchen's dirty and oh I, you really got me with that one and even in 2022 that this is still how the, the natural division of this work goes how it's possible i don't know and how i also we, we think women are, feel more guilty that you know yeah. like if a woman is working and she misses a school play or a parents evening somehow that's 50 million times worse than every man who's ever not got home from work till seven and missed parents evening and you know yeah. these things happen and i'm not saying that the men are in, in the wrong i just think that women have so much more guilt they carry around and you know i think yeah. she also feels like she doesn't want to nag because you know we yes. hate of course you, and Ugh. you know you don't want to be the one that's going oh you haven't put the washing on oh you haven't but it's just festus doesn't but it? you're also like why don't you have the washing yeah, on yes. like, I don't exactly. understand. like exactly. yes yeah, yeah. 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 We could relate to a lot of that. And Kate and I are both lawyers and we are married with children. So (laughs) this really spoke to us a lot. And our children have very involved fathers. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. is about previous generations, I think, and where the starting point is that mom should be around always and dad doesn't have to be so that when they show up, it's like a bonus. And when we don't, it's a Negative. Yeah, negative. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that when that starting point changes, then maybe we'll have it's just centuries more. of conditioning, isn't it? And I think yes, it is. Yes. Like our yeah. parents, even I've seen some of my friends' parents really praise their husband for doing something oh. quite minor, and I can see my friends are like, "Yeah, what yeah. things yeah. I do all the time." That is not the starting point. Sorry, yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah, and as Emma is showing, I mean, it doesn't even, even though she is the breadwinner and is the one that has now led the charge in that aspect of the relationship, it somehow didn't make her lessen the things that she had to do <laughs> or the worries that she had and everything else. So somehow we've, we, yeah, we've made just, these advances, but so idea yeah. of women who can have it all. I think we've shut ourselves in the foot a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, so another thing that we love in this book is how it is centered around the mother-daughter relationship, Uh which is a favorite topic of ours on this podcast. And personally, people like to joke about not becoming their mothers, but that's a very real fear for Emma, as she, as you said. Oh, yeah, I was like, this is my take on turning into your mother, because I find it so fascinating. Like, I have quite a tricky relationship with my mother, there's no denying that. But we have this whole thing 
of like your mum's the one who carries you, births you, looks after you, does all, you know, she's the one you go to every time you fall over, the centre of your world till you're about 12. Then after that, it all seems to fall apart. And the one thing we dread is turning into this woman who did all things for us and I, I'm yes. not quite sure why it is that we suddenly have yeah. like you hear yourself saying something that sounds like your mother <sighs> you're like oh my god oh god mm-hmm. the worst thing ever yeah right. I think also with the book I wanted to explore the thing of how we judge our mums so harshly and then as we get older and we think oh actually now that I'm 30 or 40 or whatever you think oh she actually did quite well on that bit you know she was only yeah. or it was hard yeah it was yeah. hard it was difficult you know you see your own behavior differently is how you were as a child but yeah I think the mother-daughter dynamic in it I wanted to play with and sisters sisters and mothers and daughters you know I'm quite mm-hmm. family dynamics I found quite interesting to play within and there's traumas and cycles of trauma and how we all try and reinvent ourselves and, and be something new and, and you can never quite shake off your childhood mm-hmm. oh these are just literally things we talk about yeah. <laughs> and with the mother-daughter one I mean I also have I like your word a tricky relationship <laughs> yeah I know I like that uh, word too <laughs> my mom listens to this I always joke I'm like it's a good thing my mother doesn't listen if she yeah. did she'd get a lot of information. More information than I want, yes. But you had this scene that I thought kind of helped me a little. So Emma does speak to a therapist at one point and and she's talking about, you know, there's a lot of her trying to forget her mother and her therapist is like, well, that's not really working. And she's like, why don't you try understanding her? And she's like, I don't want to understand her. I'm like a toddler stamping my foot. (laughs) And the woman says, that's not true. You don't want to forgive her. But I think you very much want to understand her. Yes. And I was like, I can oh, be is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> but I was like, that's what it is, isn't it? Maybe it's that even if you can't forgive them, you certainly can't forget them. Yeah. And and you can't forgive them. Maybe we just need to try to understand them. I'm like, maybe this is it. Maybe mm. this is the way out of this hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the subtext. Yes. Yes, exactly. But I did like that part, though. That gave me a little light bulb. Ah, excellent. Yeah. I try with mine, but, you know, the next boyfriend of mine said to me, You're never going to change her. So your choices Uh are you walk away now and never speak to her again, or you just accept Mm. this is how she is. So that's what I've tried to do. I'm sure she's tried to do the same with me, but, you know. Yes. Well, that's giving a lot of credit. So that's good for you. So I want to talk about the title of this novel, Insomnia, which apparently just in honor of this interview, I could not sleep at all last night. I think I think I managed to accumulate two hours total. Well, and I'm like, this is less. Oh, it is. And I did all the wrong things. We had a late interview last night. I drank tea late at night and then I had ignored a lot of other things. And so they start popping up in my head and I'm like spending time thinking about other people's lives, ridiculous things that other people don't even think about. And yet there I am thinking about it for them. Like I need to be doing this at two o'clock in the morning. It's, it's ridiculous. But Emma is suffering from insomnia and obviously it gets progressively worse as, as she goes on. And at first she's like, oh, I'm just tired and this is taking a toll. And maybe I didn't see that or maybe I wasn't there for that long, she says to herself. But it takes a toll. That exhaustion really takes a toll. 
role. I wanted to know why you were interested in exploring this. this well, I mean, I don't sleep very well. And this book had a very <laughs> interesting origin story, actually, because the producers of Behind Her Eyes, we went away for a weekend. There was me, there was Jesper Dett, who is in her 30s. She's got two kids. Her husband does most of the stay-at-home stuff. There was Suzanne Mackey, who also produces The Crown. She's single in her 50s, got a 17-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid. And I'd had an outline that was very similar to this. The Emma character wasn't as relatable as our Emma is. Emma's my most relatable character. And we all started to talk about our experiences as women and also how none of us slept and how absolutely debilitating it can Mm. become very quickly. People who have good night's sleeps don't realise that two or three days without, with maybe an hour's sleep a night and you are a zombie. And just little ways you don't even think about. You're like, oh, did I forget to do that? Did I do that? I, yeah. It starts off small, but it's insidious. And then you start feeling a bit sick and all of this mm. stuff starts oh, to mount nausea. up. Yeah, nausea. Um, so to start with, I was trying to write the TV and the book at the same time, and that didn't work. So we're now doing the TV versions now. So I finished the book first with the TV. I can't remember where I started with this question. It was to do with the insomnia title, wasn't it? But yeah, we all didn't sleep. Yeah. And I was glad to talk about how women in general just didn't sleep. And this was pre-pandemic. It's a real thing. And the more I talked about it with people, I thought this is actually something that so many people, you don't realize suffer from it until you start saying, oh God, I really don't sleep. And then my agent in New York, she doesn't sleep. Mm-hmm. My agent in England, she doesn't sleep. And it's a female mm-hmm. condition. And I think there is, a, obviously in this book, there is a madness in the nights but I mm-hmm. think anyone who suffers insomnia there is a point at about 3 a.m on day four or five where you just want to peel your face off with a spoon mm. and there is an insanity mm-hmm. in it it becomes a battleground yeah. and nobody understands it and you become very isolated and I think if you're gonna to me I think if you're gonna create paranoia in a character taking their sleep away is a really good way to do it because yeah not just about is the relator unreliable to the reader the narrator's unreliable to themselves she doesn't trust herself she's not sure yes and and, you know i have to give a nod to the master whose title i stole but i remember reading insomnia stephen king novel when i was a teenager and he had built that up with the character in that and obviously it's a very different story but i remember then thinking god it must be awful to have insomnia fast forward several years yeah i get it (laughs) yeah but yeah and plus after behind her eyes i mean i'm quite fascinated by sleep Dreaming is a massive part of my life. When I do sleep, I really dream vividly. Yeah. So I kind of like oh. this idea of playing with the the nights and sleep. And maybe that's the thing for you guys. Because yes. Corinne also, as she's indicated, has insomnia issues at times. But also, though, can have those vivid dreams. When she says, I'm going to sleep on it, like a decision or something, like something could legit come to her in her yeah. sleep. If I said I'm going to sleep on it, all I'm doing is deferring it till tomorrow because yeah. <laughs> nothing's coming in the middle of the yeah. night. Yeah. I mean, I've not spoken to people for days because they've done something in my dream. And it's been wow. that real that I can't, like one of my friends in, in my dream, I mean, normally my dreams are quite supernaturally and they never jump around. You know, some people's dreams, they jump from one place to another. Their mind are always quite linear. And if I wake hmm. up, and I'm really enjoying the dream. Like sometimes I might be having a post-apocalyptic dream or whatever. And I'm like, this is great. And then I can go back into the dream where I left it. But I did dream that my friend's husband was unfaithful and I saw him in the park. They've got a dog as well. And I was quite snippy with him. (laughs) I know what you did in my dream. I haven't forgiven you yet for what you haven't done. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is great. Wow. 
Oh, geez. And I, I'm ashamed to admit that I sleep well. See, I feel like you, you're ah. right that so many women do have this as an issue that then you don't want to be the one that's like, yeah, I sleep fine. I don't know know, my, one of my best friends, Hannah, literally, she'll be falling asleep in front of the TV from 8.30. She can just go to sleep like that. And I'll be knackered. And then wide awake <laughs> at night. I'm yeah. like, I'll be tired in front of the TV and then I'll go into bed and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, exactly. All the things you haven't thought about. Yeah. Oh, and then you're like, gosh. I will not look at the time. I will not look at the time. Oh, and then you're looking at one o'clock. Yeah. How? Yeah. <laughs> Hence the madness. I yeah. get it. I will say I have been this way since I was a baby. My parents oh, had really? a really hard time putting me to sleep. And then when I remember being too old to go to them, having middle school, high school, such a struggle. And my son is already this way too. So my mom had to send me to boarding school so she could sleep because I just used yeah. to wake her up like, but I was scared of things. I was scared of witches under the bed or ghosts. And I didn't, you know, so I'd wake him up like four or five times a night. You know, oh boy. Well, there's another thing I want to talk about, which we love on this podcast, which is secrets. Yeah. yeah and so we do. You love that generally, but recently we've just been fascinated because there's been a lot of things we've watched and read about this idea of what parts of ourselves or our past are okay to keep private because they're ours, you know, they're pieces of ourselves mm-hmm. that we don't want to share or we've buried for whatever reason, maybe for reinvention, maybe it's too painful. And in insomnia, Emma hides an important part of her past from her husband and her daughter. And to her husband, she says, well, it was easier that way. It was private. And then when her daughter confronts her, she says, it was my business, my past from long before you were born. And just because you are my child does not mean I have to tell you everything or even tell your father everything that went before. I'm sure I don't know all your secrets. So I wanted to ask like, you know, why you wanted to explore these sort of gray areas, the buried past, and, and whether it's okay to hide parts of ourselves. Well, I mean, the buried past is such a thriller setup, isn't it? Everyone's got it. Mm-hmm. Even, yes. you know, yeah. even if they're good people, they have a buried past. And I remember writing that scene, actually, So she's done her apologizing to her husband. And when I first started writing that with the daughter, with Chloe, she was quite apologetic. And then I thought, why is she apologizing to this 17-year-old kid for something that was clear? And I just thought we all have things that have either happened to us or even, even that we've done that we're ashamed of or things that we don't necessarily want to share with the world that maybe were something we did 30 years ago or happened to us 30 years ago or whatever. I don't see why we should have to. I mean, we are we are constantly running narratives of secrecy because if we spoke everything we actually thought, we'd have no friends. Yeah. <laughs> we literally think mean things about everybody we know at least once or twice. Yes. There's no niceness in the human consciousness, really. It's a, it's a we're not naturally nice creatures. If we were, the world wouldn't be in the state it's in now. Right. So I think people do have a right to privacy. And actually, I think when I started out writing, I was much more open about my life and and my past. And I mean, I haven't got a particularly dodgy past, but compared to some people, I probably have. But it it was very good anecdotally. So, I mean, for the purposes of this, it's fine. But I used I ran a strip club and I lived with a big gangster and there was all this stuff that and then I became a teacher. So there was quite a lot of things that felt disconnected in that story. But now when I have to do publicity things, I actually don't want to talk about my life, if you, if you know what I mean. Like At the early days, they're like, oh, this is great. You can talk about this or you can talk about that. And so you do for promotion purposes. Then when you read the piece back, you feel a bit like, why does anybody need to know all that stuff about me? And I, I kind of now get why celebrities 
get annoyed. If you're an actor, it doesn't mean everybody has the right to know everything about your private life, even if you have cheated on your wife, even if it's still nobody's business. So I think we're fascinated by other people's secrets because it's like little windows into the story of their lives. But actually, I think we should all be allowed to keep bits of our Mm. lives from even people we love. I think often they're the ones we need to keep it from the most because it's like (laughs) people who are very open with their past with new partners. I think especially when you're young, can cause so much jealousy. We don't need to talk Mm -hmm. about our ex-boyfriends relentlessly or our Mm ex-girlfriends. They're past. And as you get older and have more past, it's easier to let it go. But when you're young, I remember being 25 and my boyfriend was 47. He had so much more past than me. So it was so hard to compete. And actually, it shouldn't be a competition. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I just went off on one there about relationships, but I think no, we love it. Think, Corinne, see, this is this is you too. Don't tell people things that aren't their business. Like there are things that are just your business. I'm terrible at this. I need to listen to you, Sarah. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, I just answer as if I'm supposed to answer completely. What? No, I don't have. There are some things you have to be like. Wait, why am I telling you this? This is for me, right? When you would read back those articles, wait, why did I share this? And also, it's when you're young. This this says a terrible thing about my personality. But you always learn a lesson with other people's secrets, don't you? When you're a kid, you tell a secret and it all comes back and gets on you. And now I'm older. I'm really good at keeping other people's secrets, but they're also really useful because if that person Mm. ever falls out with you, you have their secret. (laughs) So now I'm like, why would you tell anyone a secret? Is you basically giving people information that could be, you know, Corinne's got a lot on me then. Either it's a secret or it's not. You know, it's one of those things. If you tell one person, you might as well have told everybody. That's the way I see it. I do see it that way. I do see if people know, then it's not really a secret. But the other thing I've learned is that most people really don't give a shit about other people. You know, most people are caught up in their own lives. You think everyone's judging you or whatever, but they're so busy worrying about their own lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the way I see it. The only good thing about sharing a secret with the appropriate person at the appropriate time, not just anybody who asks, Kate, no. I was going to say, this sounds like you're talking directly to Kate, she's not she, she, like that. Yeah. No, no, is then you can feel not alone, like in that, oh, you, to be silly, like, oh, you suffer from insomnia too. It's yeah. something I didn't think I could share because hmm. I thought it was making me mad and you would look at me funny. But when you do share it and you have that connection. There's a relatability thing. There's yeah. a feeling of of like relief and freedom of like, oh God, I'm not the only one. Okay, that's good. I think some things like my generation, I think have been really good at talking about menopause in a way that previous generations haven't. And I was reading an article in the news today that in England, they're running out of HRT because 50 percent more women are demanding it than five years ago even because right. our generation who were like the party generation are now like what's going on with my body and we talk about it we'll say things on twitter about it in a way that when i was growing up it was just this awful right, yeah. thing we talk about that, it right mm-hmm. and then the minute you had it you immediately turned into a grandmother and you know wore <laughs> grandmother clothes and you know, it was this awful awful thing and and now obviously I'm at that age and you're like well we need to talk about this stuff because it really affects 50 55 percent of the population like yeah. periods I think teachers should be able to just me and my friend Elizabeth who's a teacher we were talking about periods and schools and saying half of the kids at school are girls and yet even as teachers <laughs> you need to go and change your tampons you'd pick it up and hide it and sneak yes. out oh, actually gosh. it should be like do you know what i've got 
to go change my Tampax because I am a woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes, absolutely. It right. happens to all of us. Yeah, and take the shame that somehow women's bodies are so shameful, and the stuff that That's is about making children and actually sustaining the human race becomes oh, something that. that teenage girls have to be embarrassed about. Oh, look at me! I'm That's a good point, and, aren't I? But it's this. So you know. <laughs> The next one, there might be some Tampax in the next book. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. There we go. Well, we said that. I don't know if you watched the show, I Will Destroy You. No, I a, destroy, I destroy you. Mm. Anyway, there's just a, a normal moment among two women and one of them's like changing her panty liner. And it's like, wait, why has that never been part of this yeah. before? Because it happens all the time. <laughs> So, you know, it's how I judge men is how relaxed they are around periods and that stuff, you know, especially as you get older. Like when they're 18, 19, you're not going to throw that. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, although I do remember being 20, I think. And when you're young, you're like, oh, God, I haven't got a tampon. So my boyfriend was like, this happens every month. How can you not? <laughs> how do you not know? <laughs> like, do I need to start carrying them for you? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But now as a, as a grown woman, if a man gets any way queasy about it, I'm like, well, you're not the man for me. Cause In your face. To, yeah, if you've got to your late 40s <laughs> yeah. and can't cope with a female body doing what it does, then... Yeah, then know. we've got other issues. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you've already mentioned a couple of things about in your dreams and also when you were younger, witches and all this. It seems like we wanted to talk a little bit about your interest in the supernatural, which all of your books. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's just part of your life. It's something you've sought out or it's sought you out because that's how I feel. I feel like these things, Kate calls me witchy and all of these things and my dreams, the power of my dreams and all of it. It's. I feel like it sought me out. I like weird things and I yes. like <laughs> I am a weird thing. I started off writing straight horror and then I've written fantasy and historical horror and fairy tales and all manner of things before I kind of landed on thrillers. But even then I like the idea of the weird in real life that it you're not in some fantasy setting. I like that these are normal people doing normal things and then something odd starts to happen. But yeah, I mean, I'm quite a grounded person. But my auntie Lorna, who is no longer with us, she made her living telling fortunes and people would travel from all over. And when she was a kid, just after the war, and my granddad was the local policeman in this town called Southend in, um, I think it was in Westcliff, little village outside Southend by the coast. And a circus fair thing came to the town and my aunt went up with some friends and they had a fortune teller there and etc. So she went in to have her fortune read and the woman said she wouldn't do it. So my aunt came back and she was crying and she thought she was going to die or whatever as you would. And so my granddad, the policeman, marched up there and, you know, it was like, I'm the local policeman, what's going on? And this woman said, no, no, she can do it herself. And she literally like, yeah, there were lots of weird things that came true in what she said, but I never let her do my cards. And I always said it was because I didn't believe in it. And she always used to say, if you didn't believe in it, you'd let me do it, which is kind of <gasps> weird. But I'm also a great believer yeah. in the Macbeth sort of root of destiny, that if someone tells you something, mm, you, then you yeah. will it'll be self-fulfilling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'm kind of like, I don't want anyone to tell me anything because... I don't want to feel that I'm swayed by something, but yes. do, you know, I don't, I'll always tell people I don't believe in ghosts, but then stick me in a, an old house overnight and I might have something else. To, then I get scared. Yeah. Of and, and yeah, there's lots of weird things. I, I rented houses for a little while and I remember going to rent um, 
a house in an old railway town up the road. And so the houses are maybe 150 years old, that kind of age. Workers' houses from when they were building the railways. And I went into the house just to check it was clean and everything before these girls came to show them around. They were going to share the house. So I was I was thinking, this is a nice house. This is the kind of house I would buy, blah, blah, blah. And I went upstairs and I went into one bedroom and I thought this bedroom is amazing. It's lovely. I went into another bedroom and I could not get out of that house fast enough. I just oh, went in that room and had such oh. a bad feeling that I left and I waited outside the house. I wouldn't even wait downstairs. And when they came to look around it, I was thinking, are they going to have a reaction to that room? None of them had a reaction to the room. So maybe it was just me. So, so I'm like you. For all my trying to be tough and I don't believe in <laughs> stuff, there is a part of me that clearly does because I wouldn't explore it so much in fiction. Oh, but see, we love all these woo-woo things. Yes. I mean, I have to jump to astrology because I just feel like you've led us there right now. We we do have sort of a very strong side interest in that. So what are you? Um, what's, your, I, um, what's your sign? So that's what we want. So I'm a, uh, well, I'm a Leo, but uh, we you know already what gave, you are. Yeah, well, you already gave away your birthday's in two weeks. Well, mine's next week. Oh, so you, I am also a Mary? March Aries, yeah. yes. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. sure you quite in the Aries or Pisces, but yes. So we're all toughies. We're all tough cookies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The fire, the fire signs. signs. No, I love it all. I do love it all. and I lo- But I like it to be, if you're going to put it in a story, especially a thriller, it has, still has to play out like a thriller. So you've got to seed it so that when it comes to it, people are like, oh my God. But it, it shouldn't feel left field. And I know that some people who read Behind Her Eyes or watched Behind Her Eyes were like, oh, that just came at the end. And I always think, no, 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 go back, read it again. And There's, you will see yeah, it there you right weren't from the looking. Start. You just were doing what you were supposed yeah. to do and looking in a different direction. So Yeah, well, the thing about Aries, which also you can clearly point to for you, is there's a cardinal sign. They're always changing. They're always ready to start something new. And you have written so many books and in different genres and that reinventing yourself and wanting to jump into the next thing, jump into the next thing, jump into the next thing is like a very them. common. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm not married. <laughs> but it, it, yeah. it is a common trait of Aries and has obviously worked for your writing. Well, I mean, I'm not entirely sure it's worked for my writing. <laughs> what do you mean? You, well, read, you saw our bio. Oh, no, that's all been great for the past few years. But it's very hard to make a publisher be able to get behind you and sell you when yeah. you're doing so many different things. I mean, prior to sort of behind her eyes, dead to her, across the heart, insomnia, they're kind of a, they're all thrillers and maybe 13 minutes as well. That's YA. YA but until yeah. then, like if someone said to me, oh, I really loved A Matter of Blood, which one should I read next? I'm like, I don't know. They're so right. different. No. Or, you know, right. and so for a right. publisher, if you've got someone, and it's difficult to say this without sounding like you're being disparaging about other people, which I'm absolutely not. But if you've got someone who writes a similar kind of book every time, so I'll pick someone really successful. So Harlan Coben, you know what you're getting in a Harlan Coben book. The story might change and the twist might change, but it's going to be pacey. You're going to have lots of unreliable people. It's going to be a fun adventure, a fun ride. So they can market that over and over again. But when you're yes. like, oh, this time I've written a fairy tale, or this time I've written... So they want to put you in the box and you're not staying yeah, in the box I mean, before, and then they don't know what to do. Yeah. Before Insomnia, I gave my publisher 11 outlines and none of them were thriller enough. Mm, so there was oh. like, this is too ghost story. This is too horror. This is too whatever. This is too fantasy. Right. This is, you know, I think mm. it's very easy to get worried about what other people are writing, you mm-hmm. know, especially if you're not, I'm not a natural 
crime author. I haven't always written crime. It's not a detective or it's not. Right. So I'm always a bit sort of nervous of it. And I, I remember I just read a Lucy Foley book and one of my pictures was quite Lucy Foley. And my agent was like, Sarah, put the Lucy Foley pitch down and do a Sarah Pimber <laughs> But actually, looking at publishing, I think a lot of people had agents who didn't tell them to put the Lucy phone. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many books out about, oh, there's eight people in a remote place and they're dying one by one. And I'm sure they're great books, but they're all... Some of them, yeah. Yeah, But some of them are not. Some of them are really just trying to jump on the trend. Yeah, Exactly. Or they're a bunch of old people fighting crime in a kind of Richard Osman way, which we're getting Mm. a lot of in England because that book did so well here. And I know people mm. were writing those books before, and I'm sure there were people writing Lucy Foley style books before, but she definitely yeah. has created this craze. Even really successful authors I've seen come out with what I would call a Lucy Foley book. Yeah. So I'm quite yeah. glad mm-hmm. that I'm a bit like, well, whatever else I'm doing, I'm doing my own little yeah. track, you know? I'll cry and think, why didn't I write that Lucy Foley book? <laughs> and I see her at the top of the well, New York Times. I don't know about the sales, but yes, I do. And they're great. But <laughs> there's clearly whatever you're writing is, ripe for adaptations. I mean, I read this in your bio, but I mean, that is very impressive. I mean, so what is your feelings? We've talked to a lot of authors about their roles in the adaptations. Uh Some like to be involved, some written the screenplay, some are like, that's not my thing. I wrote the book. It has its own life after that. So what what is your role, Ben, in your adaptations? Maybe it's different for- Well, behind your eyes, I didn't write at all. I just went to the read through and stuff. And But I'm working obviously with the same team on Insomnia. Death House, I've written it myself because I do quite a lot. I'm working on an adaptation of someone else's book for Village Roadshow. So I do a lot of screenwriting anyway now. Probably okay. I probably spend more time screenwriting than I do novel writing, which is a bit of a bone oh, of contention. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, so I, I really like screenwriting. I, I'm not a massive fan of adapting my own work, even though I am mm. doing it. Because like you say, it's you've already written it. With Behind Her Eyes, someone asked me if I wanted to adapt it and I said no for two reasons. First, a very pragmatic reason that I really wanted to get made. And at that point in time, it was much more likely to get made with somebody else writing it. And secondly, I'd written it, I'd been on tour promoting it, I'd felt like I'd talked about it. And for so long, the idea of spending the next three years being involved in it still. You're an Aries, you wanted to move on. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I still got a massive yeah. paycheck, so who cares? <laughs> you know? Yes, yes, yes. this Very is the work, smart. this yeah, is the work. The nice way to do it, I think. Yeah, that's great. And you, do you have a preference? Oh, I don't think you can say if you, what, you for film. the novels or the screenwriting. Oh, it all depends on how things are going. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm planning yeah. Book. how yeah, the day yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. I sacked off one book after about twenty thousand words, so I'm planning a new one, which is slightly different in direction because I'm an Aries. Um, <laughs> And I'm also sort of in various rounds of notes with various TV projects. And now I'm just like, oh, the idea of just writing a book where it's just me right. and I can just sit down and write it. And I haven't got loads of people's opinions. And I haven't got to write outline after outline after outline. And I said to someone before on a podcast that a book is like a marriage and a script is like an affair in the, mm. the book takes quite a while. It's You settle into it steady. There's times you can't be bothered, but you still put the hours in and, you know, yes. it's, it's worth it in the end. And a script is like, it's a flurry of energy and excitement, but then you can't get rid of it. And it just keeps going. <laughs> you just let it down. You know, 
Oh, that because, is great. You know, it takes you two weeks to write the first draft, but then you're writing draft after, right. you know, the first draft is basically everything that's wrong draft with it. Draft 72. Yeah, and then, mm. you know, I mean, I'm working with a producer on a film and he was telling me about one of the films he'd worked on that was a massive success. And they did 73 drafts of that script. Oh. Whereas with a book, you finish it, you hand it in, you do a couple of rounds of notes and then a copy right. of it and it's done. And yeah. then it goes, yes. So it's much more your own thing. But there's something magical about the whole screenwriting and Hollywood thing. And also I just mm. don't trust books in that, you know, Behind Rise was my 23rd book. So oh I had written God. a lot of books and I was making a living, but it certainly wasn't a retirement living. I, I probably was writing two books a year to earn what I made as a teacher. So it was, mm. you know, it was hard work. So I think now you look at the book market, it's so crowded. And after COVID, it feels like no one's quite sure how you're supposed to market books. And in England, you know, we have the supermarkets and Waterstones. And if you don't get the supermarkets, it's tricky because it's Waterstones, tough. Yeah. It's tough. So I quite like having lots of irons and fires. It's a bit like lottery. Yes. You know? yes. So it's a book. That's, it's a book. that's one of my favorite uh, expressions. Lots of yeah. irons in the fire. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Can I ask you one last question? What are you loving right now? Something you've read, something you're watching, something you're... Oh my gosh, so many things. I read Catriona Ward's Sundial, which I think has just come out, which mm -hmm. I loved. I'm watching, well, oh gosh, so many things because I'm clearly work avoiding. I'm watching Peaky <laughs> Blinders, the final series. I did The Last Kingdom, the final series. I watched House of, House of Gucci the other day, which I know has mixed opinions. I really I quite enjoyed it. it. I felt like it should have been a Netflix miniseries, but oh. I loved it. I would have watched several episodes of that, you know. Reading wise, oh, just too many things. I'm currently reading, I don't know how well she publishes over there, C.L. Taylor's new one that comes out in a couple of weeks. The Guilty Couple, is that what Guilty it was? Guilty Couple. Yeah, Ooh, that's Ooh, a good yeah. one. She's yeah. a really solid thriller writer. You know, she can do that. I say she can do that book a year. I know it kills her. But, you know, she's mm -hmm. she has that one book a year and they're, they're kind of twisty, turny thrillers so they're Brilliant. good fun yeah nice. but too so many good. things i've got too many things on the go i like it for work avoidance perfect yeah, always work <laughs> avoidance literally i was trying to find i need to do yellow jackets that's what i want to do I've not oh seen. yeah oh, we no. haven't done that i either. started yeah. i started it was a little dark for me but the reviews are fantastic i like dark me too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Me so. too. I just don't have showtime. That's, That's my the, only ah, problem. I see. I think we have it on Now TV. It's, it's on ah, TV. see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of good TV right now. There's too, too much so in a lot of ways. I know. Yeah. It's absolutely. Yeah. And so. then I know that if if it's a series as well, I'm like, oh, I'm so, I'll be in so much trouble because I'm incapable of turning it off after two. You know, yeah. some people say, I'll just watch two. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I was born to live on a sofa. I can watch a whole <laughs> You know, I can order yeah. a pizza and just walk the dog and then just watch it. Yes. And watch my career flash by. <laughs> <laughs> That's not happening. No. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Insomnia will be out now with this episode. So thank well, you. Thank you for having thank me. You. Great fun. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. 
For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.